Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Jack. I'm Bethany Northeast's lead pastor. Good to see some uh, new faces. So it either means you're visiting or checking Bethany out. And it's always fun to see new faces. And I look forward to hopefully connecting with you at some point after today or even today. So after I'm done up here today, don't be shy. I'll either try to get to the doors or I'll be up front. So I'd love to meet you, if you're, especially if you're new, just to get a name with a face. Uh, we're continuing a series we've been in the last several weeks today called Sustainable Faith, where we've been looking at some of the spiritual disciplines or spiritual, spiritual practices that have sustained the church for generations. So, uh, and one reason we're doing this is it's, it's flu, cold and flu season, so you don't get faith like you get a cold or a flu. Ha uh, So, you, <laughs> uh, the idea being that you don't just pray, receive Christ, and then call it good. Faith is something that, yes, we receive from God in Christ as we pray, but then we also cultivate, Jesus teaches this in the parable of the sower, we cultivate that throughout our lives. And we do that, the church has um, shown us throughout generations, we do that by practicing things. So like Bible reading, silence, solitude, Sabbath, and today we're going to look at the practice of meditation. Um, And before we do that, I want to just open us with a word from the Gospel of Luke which will help frame our conversation this morning. And it's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and it'll be on the screen behind me. This is a story that comes right after Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think one of the most packed chapters in all the gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 10. So, and this is a beautiful little story that I'll help, help frame our time together. Let's read this and then I'll pray for us. As they continued their journey, this is Jesus and his disciples. Jesus came to a village, and a woman called Martha welcomed him to her house. She had a sister by the name of Mary who settled down at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was very worried about her elaborate preparations, and she burst in, saying, Lord, don't you mind that my sister has left me to do everything by myself? Tell her to get up here and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, my dear. You're worried and bothered about providing so many things. Only a few things are really needed. Perhaps only one. Mary has chosen the best part, and you must not tear it away from her. Let's just take a moment to to pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had uh, this morning to sit at your feet like Martha, or like Mary, and, uh, and worship you to delight in this one thing you've given us, which is uh, the reality that we're loved, we're chosen, uh, we're forgiven, you delight in us. There's nothing we have to do. There's nothing we have to do. There's nothing we have to do, God. So God, help us to rest this morning in your word. Even as we open it, our hearts... Like Martha, are preoccupied with things happening in the world, terrorist attacks, uh, leadership throughout the world that seems to be uh, misguiding us, uh, our marriages, God, are not going the way we thought they should, our bodies are in decay. God, there's so much that's bothering us right now, so many anxieties and worries that we bring to this table. So God, help us to rest at your feet, to seek the one thing, which is our belovedness in you, that we are known and loved by you. Thank you, God. 
Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so meditation. Um, I want to tell a quick story to help frame this out. I was having beer. If you don't know me well, I love to drink beer, but not in excessive quantities. Don't worry about that. Oh, and by the way, this is the last time you'll have to see me with my Lego hands. So let's celebrate that. <laughs> so <laughs> next Sunday, I'll hopefully have this off and it'll all be good. Uh, I broke my, this is not my Halloween costume. I broke this in a cycling accident a few weeks ago. So um, I was out for a beer with a friend a couple weeks ago at this place called Hellbent. How many have been to Hellbent? Your pastor drinks a beer at Hellbent. So there you go. <laughs> it's down in Lake City and uh, it's a brewery. And uh, we're there. It's like a Wednesday night, a couple of Wednesdays ago. And we're there to talk about, if you go out to beer with me, we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about if you're married, your marriage, or if you have kids, how are you, how's parenting going? If you're a professional, which is a lot of you, how's work, you know? How's faith? So, I mean, we, we could talk about sports, but I, I love to go deeper. So we're, talk, we're trying to talk about these things, and it's just before Halloween. And if you know Hellbent, there's screens everywhere. And so there's this one screen where at the bar, because it was packed that night, there was a World Series game on. And there's this screen to the right that has that movie Carrie. Remember Carrie from like 1978? By the way, I Googled this during beer. It got nominated for three Academy Awards. I kid you not. Who knew? So anyway, I guess the, the bar was a little lower back then. So Carrie's up on, this, on the right of me, but the volume's off and it's just playing and it's super distracting. Behind me, or behind us, there's this crowd and they're watching like World Series Game 5 or whatever, lots of cheering. I think there was even like an NBA game on one screen and a World Series game on the other screen. So there's that going on. And then, remember this, Jonathan? At one moment, we're sitting there trying to talk, and the bartender comes in and like cranks the volume on the PA system. And I, I kid you not, it's like death metal. It's like, dun, 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 dun. and I'm trying to listen. And I'm, I'm like, if I'm not ADHD, then I just caught it. Like, I don't even know what he just said. Like, what, I don't remember the conversation. I remember that. It was this really kind of this moment that really uh, highlighted, for me anyway, this overwhelming culture of noise that we live in. I mean, just constant noise. I don't know if you can remember the last time you had just absolute silence in your life. It was probably long ago, if you're like me and you have kids and you have a radio and you have a TV and you have things calling for your attention. It highlighted that. It also kind of brought to mind some of the, the consequences of that culture of noise that we're immersed in. So a couple years ago, I read this article in the Atlantic Monthly about the effect of noise pollution or the effect noise pollution is having on animals. Really interesting article. It talked about this 2013 study at Boise State University, go Boise State, uh, about where, there, where they created this phantom road on this ridge line out by Boise. There's some mountains there. And they used a series of these electronic speakers. Greg, try and throw this up just so people can see what this looks like. So this is the guy in the study putting these like bullhorn type speakers on these trees along this ridge line. And like they put them there and they, they made this phantom road right in the middle of the woods as far from a, a real road or any traffic as they could get in, in sort of this area where uh, wildlife wouldn't normally hear vehicles or cars. And then they played through these speakers sounds of a busy highway. So when it came on, it came on and off intervals, it literally just sounded like you were next to a road. So it wasn't loud noise, more like white noise, but it was the white noise of a road. And uh, it was the important thing, it was situated during this, uh, near this very important migratory stop for, or stop for migratory birds, where they would 
traditionally rest in this area before fattening up there before going on this journey ahead. So for four days, they did this. They turned the speakers on and off, playing this faux traffic noise, and the results were really startling if you read this article. It showed that during the periods of noise, the birds stopping to rest, um, their numbers declined by more than 25%, actually 28% declined in their numbers during the noise. And then when they turned the noise off, those numbers went back up to their normal rates. Also, when the speakers were on, um, during the tra- 80, the birds that were there ate 80% less food than when the traffic noise was off. In, in other words, the birds spent less time looking for food with their heads down, if you've ever seen a bird eat, than when that noise was going on. More, they were scanning for danger. They were looking around because they, they didn't know what that noise was, looking for impending threats. And it forced these birds to look for danger instead of forage for the vital food that they needed for their journey ahead. And that's a problem in this spot, in this ridgeline, because uh, the area where they, they summoned that phantom road it's just, like I said, this critical staging area for migratory birds where they would, they'd spend a week there. Birds will spend a week in this spot before gorging on all these berries that have grown in the, the mountains and before preparing themselves for this arduous journey ahead. The journey ahead, beyond the ridge, they have to fly south, birds fly south, over the Snake River Plain, uh, which has very little food if you know the Snake River Plain or Columbia River Gorge or whatever, few trees to hide in. It also has one of the highest densities of, guess what? birds of prey in North America. So imagine a flock of weak, ill-prepared songbirds, like little tweety birds, uh, running this gauntlet of arid climate and, and hooked talons without anything to sustain them. It's really a metaphor, I think, for our lives, for Hellbent a couple Wednesdays ago. Uh, if that's not a metaphor for our lives, I don't know what is. It reminded me of something that Henry Nowen once said, and I quote this often in sermons, but apologize for doing that, but it's one of my favorite quotes so I'll do it again. And this is what he says. From all, from all I've said about our worried, overfilled lives, it's clear we're usually surrounded by so much inner and outer noise that it is hard to truly hear our God when he's speaking to us. We've often become deaf, unable to know when God calls us, unable to understand in which direction he calls us. Thus our lives have become absurd. In the word absurd, he says, we find the Latin word surdus, which means deaf. Certus means deaf. A spiritual life, we're talking about spiritual disciplines, requires discipline because we need to learn to listen to God, who constantly speaks, but whom we seldom hear. When we listen, our lives become obedient lives. Listen to this. The word obedient comes from the Latin word audir, which means listening. That's all obedience is, is to listen. A spiritual discipline is necessary in order to move slowly from an absurd to an obedient life, from a life filled with noisy worries to a life in which there's some free inner space where we can listen to our God and follow His guidance. That's it. A spiritual discipline is required to move from an absurd life to an obedient life where there's just some free inner space to hear God's voice. Enter meditation. This discipline, of all the disciplines, it's one of my favorite, um, is really about just creating space where we can listen to God's voice. And yet, I'm afraid as we come to it, you have all kinds of notions of it, lots of baggage. You've tried, you've failed, you don't want to talk about it. So we're going to do that. (laughs) And we're going to do it under three headings real quick. Uh, What it is, because I think it's important to unpack what it is a little bit, because we have notions about what it is, why we need it, and then a little bit on how we do it. Some practical handles we hope to leave you with this morning uh, 
to practice this in the coming weeks. So uh, we're going to dive into what it is, and I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to have you, because I know we have immediate reactions to meditation and that word. I'm going to have you turn to one person next to you, could be a friend or a spouse, could be a total stranger, and discuss, go ahead and throw this question up, Greg, clear that one off. And the first slide, or the first one with the question on it. Not the picture. Are you finding it? Yeah, and then, like, this is the problem with that picture. I didn't, why I told you I didn't want you to do it, and then I told you to do it. I just threw Greg under the bus. There you go. Move on. I made a bunch of slides, and then I didn't prep uh, Greg. Let's give Greg a round of applause. So, move on to the next one. (laughs) There we go. Here's the question, or it's actually three questions, but just pick the first question. When it comes to meditation, what comes to mind? Turn to the person next to you, 60 seconds each, okay? I'll tell you at 60 seconds when to turn to the other person. So it's just a quick two-minute little deal. Talk about those questions, okay? Go. All right, so that's been, that's been two minutes. So I'm going to cut you off, and then we're going to continue the conversation from the front here. But I'm going to invite a friend up first. Uh, go ahead and come up, Sean. Are you good? So this, this guy coming up is a good friend, Sean Petrie. Some of you know Sean. Um, often sits here in the front row with his family. Actually, a year ago, he told me today, or this Sunday, um, we, we did something similar to this at Nathan Hale when we used to meet at Nathan Hale. So we were talking about being the beloved that, that week, right? And I, as we kind of started this series, I, I immediately approached Sean to ask him if he wanted to co-teach one of these weeks with me. Part of the reason is because <laughs> those that know Sean, he could probably preach every one of these every week, and we'd be like, wow. Uh, he's somebody that has been practicing a lot of the spiritual disciplines we're looking at for years, both as an individual than in his family. So this is an, in particular one meditation that I think Sean is skilled at, and um, so we're going to be in conversation around this what why and how together. Um, So I wanted him to be a part of the conversation as we're talking this morning about it. But let's talk about what, and then Sean's going to talk a little bit about kind of the why, and then we'll together talk about some of this how. Um, Under what, I don't know what you guys talked about with meditation. I do really wish we had a better word for it, uh, in English anyway, because you probably thought of monks or Buddhists or Buddhist monks. I mean, like, it's, it's a tough word for us because it gives this impression to us that, that, that meditation is something that monks and nuns do in their monasteries, right? Or that you or I do while contemplating a beautiful sunset on the beach or you're on some mountain vista and you're kind of looking at the cascades, you're not really near, you're meditating, right? And it has that in it, but it, there's far more, you know, to that word than merely those things. It's not just for those people that have time or that are, are like really close to God or really serious about God, right? Uh, the Bible uses a couple different Hebrew words in the Old Testament to convey the idea of meditation to us. And they're used 58 times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament. Some of the verses that, where this word comes up, I'll just give you a couple. I mean, all over the Psalms, Psalm 119, the great one, comes up a lot. Uh, Joshua 1.8, the Lord says to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so you can be careful to do everything written in it. So keep it close to you. Uh, Psalm 143 says, I I remember, this is the psalmist saying, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works, God. I consider what your hands have done. So there's a couple Old Testament examples. 
There's a couple New Testament ones too. Like, I love these. And they're not the same Hebrew words I talked about, but Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the notion of meditation, to have the word of Christ dwell inside of you. Matthew 129, remember this, Mary is approached by the angel Gabriel. And what does she do after receiving this revelation that she's going to give birth to Jesus? She considers all these things that have been revealed to her. She, she, she meditated on them. That word to consider is actually an accounting word. So for all the accountants in the room, your, your vocation is actually biblical. She um, considered that. She took account of what the angel had said to her. Uh, John, in Jesus' ministry in John 8 and John 15, he says, hold fast to or remain in Christ. Medi- like, be rooted in Christ. Be, go deep in Christ. That's what meditation is all about. So there are various meanings, learning to listen to God's word, reflect on his works, rehearse his deeds, ruminate on his law, all these things. Uh, one of the Hebrew words actually that's most significant, going back to the Old Testament, is this word Hagah. And it's it actually, it's the word that our Hebrew ancestors used. So in those passages from Psalms and Joshua that I picked up, that's the word Hagah. And it, it has to do with this type of reading that deals with our souls, not just our minds. Um, literally, it has to, the literal meaning of this word, check this out. Hagah has to do with slow eating. How many of you eat slowly? Some of you do because you know it's good for you. you. You actually take a bite, put your fork down chew it, savor it, and then take the next bite. We generally only do that when we're paying $100 for a meal, right? Uh, but the Bible says do that with God's word, hagah. Uh, slow chewing, masticating, sucking on, ruminating on something. That's kind of the idea. I know lots of word pictures there for you. Like to roll something around in your head till it goes into your heart. That's what meditation's about. Eugene Peterson writes about this a lot. Um, one of my favorite authors And he, here, I'll just quote him. He says this, My understanding of meditate in Psalm 1, so Adam read for us Psalm 1 and talked about the person who meditates on God's law is like a tree. We're going to get into that. He says that his idea of that word took on a whole new meaning when he came across that same word in a sentence in Isaiah, chapter 31. Here's the sentence, Isaiah 31, 4, As a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. Where's the word meditate there? It's the word growl. And he thought when he's reading this uh, of a dog he once owned. Here, I'll just read. He said, when we were on summer vacations in Montana, he lives in Flathead Lake in Montana, uh, this dog loved to explore the foothills where we stayed. He often came across a carcass of a white-tailed deer brought down by coyotes. Later, he would show up on our lakeside patio dragging a shank or a rib. I know that just brought (laughs) You're like, ugh. Uh, But he was a small dog. The bone was nearly as big as he was often. Anyone who's owned a dog knows the routine. He would prance and and gamble about playfully before us with his prize, wagging his tail, proud of his find, courting our approval. And of course we approved. We lavished praise on him, telling him what a good dog he was. But after a while, he was shaded with our applause. He'd drag his bone 20 yards away or so to a private place, usually in the shade of a moss-covered boulder, and go to work on the bone. Listen to this. The social aspects of the bone were now behind him. Now the pleasure became solitary. He gnawed at the bone, turned it over, licked it, worried about it. <laughs> Sometimes he would, you'd hear a low rumble or a growl. He was obviously enjoying himself and was in no hurry 
He was, he was there for a leisurely couple hours. He'd enjoy that bone, and then he'd bury it. He'd return to it again and again and again. The average bone lasted about a week. I always took delight in my dog's delight, his playful seriousness, his absorption in Martha's one thing. Remember Luke 10? The one thing, Martha, the one thing. Do you see how different that idea of meditation is from our notions of it? Uh, monks and nuns and mountains. I mean, we often approach this idea of meditation, in other words, from more of an Eastern or kind of mystical perspective than we do from a real biblical one. Let me give you the, what I mean by that. An Eastern view of meditation is all about emptying, becoming like an empty bell, right? Empty of noise, empty of worries, empty, empty, empty. When you read this word, it's actually about filling yourself filling yourself with God's word, filling yourself with what God's done, filling yourself with God's character, his promises. From an Eastern perspective, it's all about detachment. Again, I'm worried. I'm going to detach myself, being detached from all those things, right? From a biblical perspective, it's all about friendship, attachment, learning to to see God as one who's called you in intimacy with himself, attaching yourself to that person. From an Eastern perspective, it's very impractical meditation. There's no deliverable here. It's, it's uh, mystical. Whereas I think from a, a biblical perspective, it's very practical, very ordinary. It's really about this ability that we have to be at peace in the activities of our days, to rest, to take time, to enjoy beauty, to sit and to look with our eyes open. Uh, it, it means just reflecting on who God is, what God's done, to, as one pastor says, think out the implications of God's word on my everyday existence, my work, my family, the city I live in, my faith. Which brings us back to Psalm 1 and why I picked it today. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step and step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, take the company of mockers, but whose delight, there's the word meditation, is in the law of the Lord, who meditates, there it is again, meditates on it day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of waters which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Two quick observations, and then I'm going to turn the mic over to Sean. The first one, there's delight in meditation. We don't think of it that way. Like, you're sitting there wondering, why am I doing this? There's not a lot of delight in that. This word delight, it actually it literally means to feel rich, if you look at the Hebrew of it. There's a richness. It's an economical word. It's related to this word of meditating, like to take account of things, to to look at the economy of that balance sheet and go, wow, I'm rich. I'm rich because of who I'm in relationship with, because of what that God has done, because of the promises that he has for me in my life. Uh, What it means is just pretty simple. Like you're, you're, you're taking abstract thoughts about God, God's grace, God's mercy, and you're bringing them into your life and saying, That's what grace means for me. That's what mercy means for me. Does this make sense? Uh, Somebody once said that meditation is like the mind descending into your heart till it catches fire in your whole life. Like just observing something for a long time and and letting it descend into your heart till your whole life catches fire. Uh, Psalm 46.10 says it like this. Step out of the traffic of your life. This is the message translation. Take a long, loving look at your God, your high God, who's above everything, above politics, above terrorism, above kids who are yelling at you, above everything. God is above all that, and he's good. So the way we take delight in God's revelation in Scripture, really, we don't run 
to it. We don't run down the road with it. We don't, it's not just about memorizing a verse or two and then going about our business. It's about sit, slowing down, sitting in it, paying attention, listening to what God's saying to you, okay? Here's the last thing. Notice how meditators are likened to trees. The person who meditates like a tree planted by streams of living water. That allusion actually comes from earlier in Scripture, Jeremiah 17. Actually, it's later, but it's earlier in the timeline. Uh, in Jeremiah 17, this is what the Lord reveals to Jeremiah. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on his flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the wastelands. He'll not see prosperity when it comes. He'll dwell in a parched place in the desert, in salt, where there's no life. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. Do you hear that? Confident in God, roots going out to the stream. And this tells us the story of two different kinds of trees. One tree is called a bush. It's actually an arar tree. It's a naked, it's an ancient Near Eastern juniper tree. The other is just a, you could call it a, like an evergreen, like we have around here. Uh, full green by a river. Do you know the difference between these two trees? It's not what's above the soil. We think, oh yeah, this juniper tree is barren and the evergreen is full of life. Do you know the difference between the trees? It's their roots. And not just their roots, I suppose the roots are exactly the same. Where their roots are going. The juniper tree's roots just go this way, sideways. They don't go anywhere. They have nowhere to go. They don't even break the surface of the soil. Whereas these trees, you know where their roots are going? They're finding water. They're going deep. They're just searching for the water that's going to sustain them. And I suppose in Seattle, they don't have to search very far. But uh, everything about that tree, the leaves, the branches, the stem, everything Scripture teaches us is a matter of its root system. Meditation that leads to whole life transformation is a matter of your roots. Where are your roots going right now? Are they going deep into God's Word? Are you sitting with it? Every book I've read about roots is they do two things. They anchor the tree and they nourish the tree. They give the tree water. So where are you drinking from God's Word? Are you sitting with it? Are you letting it bear fruit in your life? Bring fruit into your life. It's not about the fruit. It's about sitting in there with your root and saying, God, feed me with your word. So that, that's what meditation is. <laughs> it's just to draw on God's word like that tree, to be so rooted in God's word that you are nourished by it. Make sense? Now I want to talk, oh, actually, let's just pause real quick. Um, I'm going to read this word again from Luke chapter 10, okay? So whatever you need to do to hear this clearly, uh, don't put it back on the screen, please, Greg. Just have the screen blank. Again, this is the story of Martha and Jesus. And you can close your eyes. You can keep them open. We're just going to practice a little meditation here. Allow the word to come into your heart. And I'll ask you just a question as you hear this. Who in the story do you identify with? Think about this. Think of yourself as a character in this story. As they continued their journey... Jesus came to a village and a woman called Martha welcomed him to her house. She had a sister by the name of Mary who settled down at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was very worried about her elaborate preparations and she burst in saying, Lord, 
Don't you mind that my sister has left me to do everything by myself? Tell her to get up here and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, my dear, you're worried and bothered about providing so many things. Only a few things are really needed, perhaps only one. Mary has chosen the best part, and you must not tear it away from her. So I've given you a lot about what meditation is. I want to, like I said, uh, open this up to Sean to share a little bit about why, not just even why we need it in the abstract sense, but like I said, Sean is um, somebody who's been practicing this discipline, a lot of the different disciplines we've been talking about, but it's specifically this one for a number of years, um, taking this very seriously. So I guess the question for you, Sean, just to set you up is why? (laughs) Like, why would you take this up as a calling in your own life so seriously. Why have you done that? Thanks, Jack. And thank you for the what? Uh, the different pictures, although one of them was kind of disturbing, the dog just doing <laughs> um, yeah. But the picture of the tree and the verses you read is just a reminder to me of how normal of a, of a thing, especially in the Old Testament, meditation was, and even the New Testament, as you read a couple of those verses, it reminded me of Jesus's teaching on fasting. And he says, when you fast, fasting was an assumption of Jesus. Uh, Not if, but when. And so as I think about meditation, uh, also an assumption of Jesus, that we would meditate. that he would, as he was teaching when he was here on earth, but also knowing that his teaching would be uh, a way of life for people to follow, he assumed people would meditate. And uh, you asked me, why? Why do I meditate? And quite frankly, I ask myself that same question sometimes. Uh, There definitely are Many other things that can I can give my time to. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father of three. I have a full-time vocation. I uh, have, Ann and I both come from five kids. We have a lot of family. I have quite a few friends, a lot of commitments. So why would I take time and space every day for a lot of years to meditate? And quite simply, uh, because I can't live today without meditation. I could survive today. I could end this day, lay my head on the pillow, most likely will still be breathing, but I will not have lived the day. I will have done just that. I will have survived it. And... Um, that's not what I'm into. I uh, decided years ago that I didn't want to be a Christian, which might sound abrupt. But I maybe I should say I didn't simply want to be a Christian. I wanted to learn 
to follow Jesus. And the best way, this, maybe there's not a distinction in your mind between the two there is for me. Uh, because I grew up as a Christian, and it seemed to me uh, in my you know, 20s and going on that to be a Christian was to identify with a group of people. It was more of a, I am a Christian, I'm part of a group of people, I do these things. Or even so, maybe notably, is to be a Christian is to make a decision at some point in our lives, but then really go on and live our life the way we want to. And uh, that, maybe that's the difference between at least in my head, between being a Christian and following Jesus, because it was to be something, whereas to follow Jesus is to uh, more focus on someone, to become like someone, to emulate someone's life. And so as I begin to look at the life of Jesus and do my best to emulate him, I notice something. He meditated. If you have your bulletin, I think we still call them these. Uh, If you have this or don't, I'm going to read, there's a quote in here by a guy I really like to read and listen to uh, named Richard Foster. It says this. It says, meditation boldly calls us to enter into the living presence of God for ourselves. It tells us that God is speaking in the continuous present and wants to address us. That, to me, speaks mostly about, I mean, it's something we can strive to, but really, to me, it speaks to the life of Jesus. And how Jesus, as a man on this earth, meditated. He, I mean, as I look back at the definition of Richard Foster again, he believed that the Father was speaking into the continuous present. He, in his own words, at one point said, I do only that which the Father tells me to do. And I see him in this posture of always listening mm-hmm. to the Father. And so as you did a great job of like, what is meditation? What I caught from you, if there were like two takeaways for me personally, it was you said two things about meditation. One is it's to listen to the voice of God, but then two, it is to go deep into his word. And so I you know, look at the life of Jesus, and I see him listening all the time to the Father, but I also see him going deep into the Word. Now, we don't have privy, like, in the Gospels. We only get three years of his life, and we don't have these stories of him sitting there for an hour going deep into the Old Testament. That's all that was there at the time. But we do get to see the fruit that he meditated on Scripture because all the time, Throughout, when he's with people, in his humanity, he was able to speak Scripture all the time. 
which says to me he meditated on it often Mm -hmm. and got away. I... uh, So I guess in my own studying, my own learning about the life of Jesus, these two things really stand out, this listening and this going deep into the Scripture. So years ago, I just began to carve out time uh, each day to do that, to sit in silence and also to take a really short couple of verses of Scripture, and to see what might God want to say to me Mm -hmm. in that. Uh, A couple of days ago, I picked up my iPhone, iPhone and I had this, uh, I don't know if we have a picture of it, but I grab it, and this is the tip I got for the day. And I've been at this meditation long enough that, honestly, this was my first reaction. I get this, and I'm like, hmm, thank that. By the way, that's 4.06 a.m. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I actually want to learn to do less with iPhone. Yes. Amen. And it's, it's so subtle. To me, that iPhone, as if it's a person, look at the wording. Not with your iPhone. It's like literally learn how to do more with iPhone, as if we are offered some sort of a relationship with iPhone. (laughs) I, Jack, uh, you asked me why I meditate. It's because I want to keep learning more of what it means to follow Jesus. Mm, That's good. And I've realized that without meditation, my primary attention and affection goes to a lot of other places. But with it, leaning into it each day, everything else somehow mysteriously becomes secondary. And, and then that's what informs my life. And as I sit with God as Father, Son, Spirit, in the wee hour there's a morning, um, something continues to shift in me. Hmm. And here's what's crazy. I believe I'm becoming more of who I actually am each day. So that's why. Hmm. Part of what I get to do, I get to do with you this morning, which Jack already did once, but we get to look at the same Scripture again. And I would ask you as you listen to just listen for one word that might communicate to you that God is for you today. As they continued their journey, Jesus came to a village, and a woman called Martha welcomed him to her house. 
she had a sister by the name of Mary who settled down at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was very worried about her elaborate preparations, and she burst in saying, Lord, don't you mind that my sister has left me to do everything by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, my dear, you are worried and bothered about providing so many things. Only a few things are really needed, perhaps only one. Mary has chosen the better part, and you must not tear it away from her. We're going to pause for just a few moments. Okay, real quick. Just a couple handles here for you to take this home because it's it's really it's interesting to me that we even needed to have a conversation about this. It's so straightforward and easy, like and yet it's it's so hard for us to slow down like this, especially in a crowd like this and be quiet. Isn't that interesting? But God's given us his word to speak to us, his spirit in our lives that can listen. And all we need to do is connect those two dots. So a couple of quick things. Um, things that we've used and would just, I guess, encourage you in. Uh, one is just the, the way in which, um, and we're going to get really practical here. I mean, like really practical. So the way in which you do this, the, the Latin phrase for this, you've probably heard is Lectio Divina, or some people use Meditatio Scriptorium. Pick whatever Latin phrase you want, I don't care. Uh, It's really about picking a small chunk, going back to this meat metaphor, a small chunk, like who sticks a whole steak in their mouth and tries to eat it? So a small chunk of meat, savor it so you don't choke on it. That's why we picked four verses from Luke 10. There's enough there for a week or a year or life. I mean, I don't know about you, but there's a lot there. Small chunk, sit with it. To that end, um, Sean, those that know Sean know he's really big on this guy. Um, I even forgot the guy's name. Thomas Keating. Thomas Keating. Like those that know Sean know he's big on him. Forgot the guy's name. He has this little, um, put that bit.ly up, Greg. He has this little flyer on a website. His website's like contemplativeoutreach.org. So I created a bit.ly this morning. You can go there. You can get this PDF or you can come up. I've got 20 copies. And it literally is just a little guide to Lectio. Is that paper, Jack? This is called paper. You have paper? Yeah. Interesting. Which brings me to the second point. <laughs> so I just this will give you a little guide to, if you're, wor- if you're worried that this is some like, like new agey thing, like no. And it'll just tell you a little bit about, I mean, Lectio is really about, he talks about it, friendship with God. Mm-hmm. Beginning to see, as we've been talking about, see God as your friend for you. He wants freedom for you and just listening to him speak to you, okay? To the paper thing, (laughs) method of delivery, like this is my, I'm going to be strong here. Go and take a picture of the screen, but then put your iPhone away. Like any device, I've got a device here. 
You guys have maybe seen one of these before, right? This is called a Bible. Um, many of us are using our phones these days as ways to deliver God's Word to us. There's a problem with that. Unless you're a total, like unless you have all your notifications turned off, which I don't know a single person who does, like otherwise that thing's kind of useless, it, you're going to get distracted. And that's, meditation is about removing distractions from your life, creating quiet space. And so I would just encourage you to dust off your Bible that you got when you were 13 or whatever, I don't know. Pull it out and just use that. Or if you don't have one, um, print out that scripture and use the piece of paper or write it out. It's only three or four verses on a three by five card and carry it around with you for a week. Something like that. But just remove the distractions. And then the last thing it's related to that is just finding a quiet space. And I want to actually turn to Sean on this one because if I look out here, I see a lot of people who quiet space, like that's an oxymoron in our lives. Like that doesn't exist. And so I wanted to ask you guys, or you, specifically you and Anna, about your practice of doing this because you were telling me a story earlier and I was just kind of like, wow. Um, I'd love for you to share that with people as we just close this time and then we're going to go to communion. Yeah, so a few years ago, Ann and I, you know, we each have our own practices, but we decided let's do some, like, get into a rhythm of doing this Lectio reading, taking three or four verses and reading it three or four times, the same one. And let's do this together a few times a week, for like three to four times a week, and see what happens. So that's been a few years now. And uh, so Jack was like, well, tell me about one. And so, well, okay, yesterday. So we, our kids are now 11, 10, and 6. And so we got up on a Saturday. We hung out with them for a little bit and then said, okay, game time for the three of you. And we're heading out. We'll be back in an hour. We grab our dog, grab our four verses, and uh, we set the little timer for the kids. Like, okay, half hour playing games, and when the timer goes off, do your room clean and all that. And then we'll By the way, that's like next level, like ninja. If you can do that, so if you have younger kids that you know, if you go away and they'll kill each other, you can do other things like screen time. That's good too, <laughs> you know? So like these guys have definitely perfected the art of like that, but... Um, I, and that's not to throw you into the bus at all, but that's, so you could do it at home too. You don't have to go out on the walk, but keep going. Sorry, so. sorry. It's just kind of <laughs> in, in the rhythms, in the zone. Um, anyway, so Ann and I would go, and instead, it's, it's so tempting, because even, I may not have seen, had that time, it's so tempting to start the walk with getting into life, and so we just start the walk with, we don't really say anything to each other, we read the four verses, pause two minutes, read it again, pause, read it again, pause, read it again, pause. And then um, we ask each other, is there a word or a phrase that stood out? And that is fascinating because it informs the conversation. And I would say half hour into the walk, we move more into how are you doing, how am I doing life? But it starts with meditation. So hmm. that's just an example. So you got some tools. Find a quiet space, remove distractions, take one of these flyers. Um, the point is, John 8, Jesus tells his disciples. Uh, I, actually, he back ends it with a question. He's, I'm going to throw the question at you. Do, do you want to experience freedom? 
like, do you want to be free as people? Free from whatever's binding you up. Yeah? You know what Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32? If you cling to my word, there's that word for meditation. If you go deep into it, if you immerse yourself in it, if your roots go deep, 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 deep into it, you'll know the truth, and guess what? The truth will set you free. So if you want to experience freedom, this is one way God's given to us to do that. So we're going to listen to this word one more time. I'm going to invite our worship team forward. And uh, Sean, do you want to read this? One more time, Luke 10, 38 to 42. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. And I think for this one, we're just going to let the Lord speak. So we've framed our last two readings with a couple of questions. It's going to leave this one open to the Holy Spirit to speak to you in whatever way the Spirit wants to speak to you. So I invite you to close your eyes. Let the Word of God speak. As they continued their journey, Jesus came to a village and a woman called Martha welcomed him to her house. She had a sister by the name of Mary who settled down at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was very worried about her elaborate preparations, and she burst in saying, Lord, don't you mind that my sister has left me to do everything by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, my dear, you are worried and bothered about providing so many things. Only a few things are really needed, perhaps only one. Mary has chosen the best part, and you must not tear it away from her. I just realized that, you know, in this conversation around meditation, even as we're delivering this word to you, we're kind of focused on one, maybe rightfully, but one form of communicating. You know, we're speaking, you're listening, and you've been good listeners, thank you. Uh, But in this story of Martha sitting with Jesus and Mary with Jesus, there are so many different ways Jesus is trying to connect with them. He's communicating his life to these two women. He does this through touch. He does this in word as he did with Martha. You're anxious. But did you notice, dear Martha, he does that through tenderness. Sometimes it's a firm word, always filled with grace. And at this table, mysteriously, God is communicating himself to us through bread and juice. Isn't that weird? (laughs) So we trust that the Spirit of God is big enough to unfold all these things, words, silence, ordinary things, and then to fill our lives with what He wants to say to us, our hearts, and to redeem us from within. So this morning, whether you've been on a long journey with Jesus, or you're kind of beginning a journey, or what Sean said about This transition from being a Christian, part of a group, to a follower of Christ is news to you. This is an opportunity to then allow God to communicate with you personally, to take a step toward him and to meet him here and have him meet you here. So you don't need to be a member of our church or any church for that matter. Uh, You just need to be somebody who I think is desiring more of God in your life.
So I'll invite our communion service forward. We take our communion here at Bethany through intinction.